Health Matters with Karen Key. This program is brought to you by Adcock Ingram. Adcock Ingram is passionate about the health of all South Africans across our rainbow nation. Trust Adcock Ingram Medicines to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. At Adcock Ingram, we're passionate about the health of all South Africans. For more than 120 years, generations of families across the Rainbow Nation have trusted us with the day-to-day health of their loved ones. With household names like Panado, Bioplast, Comprel and Citrus Soda, you'll find the same quality and care in all of our medicines. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram Medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Health Matters. On the show this evening, we'll be taking a look back at some of the highlights from the show over the last year. Claire McHugh is a mother of two, a nutritionist and Pampers Institute expert, and she'll be joining us to share some tips about healthy eating, nutrition during pregnancy, and how to make sure that your baby and your children eat well and healthily. And then a brand new edition of Pharma Dynamics' flagship recipe book, Cooking from the Heart, in partnership with the Heart and Stroke Foundation, was recently launched. And to tell us more, I'll be joined on the line by Mariska van Aswirchen, spokesperson for Pharma Dynamics. I'll be talking with gastroenterologist Dr. David Epstein about inflammatory bowel diseases. And the global campaign, Join the Fight Against Autoimmune Diseases, would like to shed some light on one specific IBD, Crohn's disease and the impact that has on one's career and work life. And then if you followed the Oscar Pistorius trial, you would have heard about GAD or Generalized Anxiety Disorder. Now, There's been much comment on social media sites, television and radio news channels and in general conversations about this. Well, since the news broke, the South African Federation for Mental Health has received a flood of inquiries about this condition. So to find out more about this, I'm joined this evening by Bharti Patel, National Director of the South African Federation for Mental Health. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Health Matters with Karen Key. On a brand new edition of Pharma Dynamics' flagship recipe book, Cooking from the Heart, in partnership with the Heart and Stroke Foundation, was recently launched. And to tell us more, I'm joined now by Mariska van Aswirchen, spokesperson for Pharma Dynamics. Mariska, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Corinne. It's nice to be with you. Well, this is book number two. Book number one was a huge success, and it's taken a while, but here's book number two. Absolutely. It's taken us almost two years yes. um, to, to produce a new recipe book, but I think it is exciting. It, it tackles different recipes, looking a little bit more at breakfast and snacks and, and lunches, which are often uh, meals that we oversee. We often focus just on the dinners and forgetting that you should actually have a healthy diet throughout the day. And this, as as I mentioned at the beginning, is in partnership with the Heart and Stroke Foundation, so we can rest assured that these recipes are all going to fall within their recommendations. Absolutely. The recipe book, uh, the recipes have been compiled again by Helian Mayer, a very well-known food author, but um, they have been uh, sort of modified and adjusted by the Heart and Stroke Foundation dietitians to make sure that they comply with, uh, with the regulations set out by the Department of Health and by the Heart and Stroke Foundation. The thing I like, I know when I've spoken to the Heart and Stroke Foundation dietitians in the past, the one thing they always go on about is one of the things I noticed is in, going to be in this book, and it's what they call the swap offers but basically they'll say well instead of using so much salt why don't you use and then they give you all these options and when I first started talking to them I thought gosh I hadn't thought of that and so there's a lot of that in the book as well 
Absolutely. A huge focus of this of the second recipe book is to address the high salt intake in South Africa, and that's that's also uh, quite recently has been has been gazetted to 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 try to limit or to reduce salt intake through uh, reducing the salt content of of processed food in South Africa, and, and the bread industry is going to is going to have to start to reduce the salt content of their breads um, in the near future as well. And and what is interesting is is as you say to rather add salt or instead of adding salt to rather look for fresh ingredients, fresh herbs and spices. And and interestingly enough, lemon. Lemon is the mm. new salt, as they yes. call it. A squeeze of lemon over your food instead of adding salt at the table um, goes a long way, and it actually is quite tasty. And one of the other things that you've got in the book, which is one of my pet peeves, are food labels. Because I, I, I'm convinced. I think it's it's personal. I think it's all just they're doing it just to spite me. They're making the writing so much smaller. I'm, it's not because I'm getting older and the vision is sort of starting to go. It, they're making the writing smaller. And I can't. And I've got to stand there with my arm out. My arms aren't long enough to read the, the, the labels. And then they're so tiny. And then I'm sort of holding up the queue in the middle of the aisle at the shop because I'm trying to read the label. Yes, that is. It is unfortunately important for us to read food labels. Um, that's why um, the, the, we support using fresh ingredients mm. and, and rather prepare fresh meals as opposed to um, processed foods in the recipe book. And, and, and the Food and Heart Foundation also also supports that. And because you know what goes into your food, if you if you if you buy prepared meals, you're not sure exactly what ingredients went in there. And um, that's why it's important to read the food labels as well before you purchase them. Look out for high salt content. Look out for high sugar and the high fat as well, and try to to, to look for the ingredients that are listed first um, on the list of ingredients because that often are um, the highest contains. The other thing you have as well is something that I actually had one of the Woolworths actually, funny enough, dietitians on talking about packing healthy lunch boxes. You know, putting good wholesome food into a lunch box for a child and what they required on a daily basis. And I see that's one of the things you've got in here as well: healthier lunch boxes. Yes, there are quite a few nice um, tips and advice about uh, how to make a lunchbox healthy, how to prepare them quick and easily, and how to, um, you know, not for it to be too time-consuming, because obviously that's also the reality, is that we often look for quick and easy ways out when it comes to preparing lunches. But it gives tips on how to, and what you can prepare the night before, how to double up on, for instance, um, lunch recipes or dinner recipes in order to use that for the lunchbox uh, the next day as well. And... um, Yes, the, the, the recipes are fresh, it's different, it's nice, and, and the children will indeed enjoy them as well. There was a huge focus to make them um, sort of uh, appealable to kids as well, so that makes mum's job a little bit easier. Now, where do people get this book from? The book will be distributed through um, general practitioners and, and pharmacists, but I think the, the, the most accessible way to, to get the book is via the internet. It is available on the Cooking from the Heart website. Not only the entire uh, book is available for download on a PDF, but you can actually access uh, individual recipes on the, on the website and then also on, on the Mobi site, heartrecipes.mobi, where you have the recipe book in the palm of your hand. So if you're at work and you, know, you haven't done your planning process, and you need to quickly access a couple of recipes, it's in the palm of your hand and you don't need to be at home to, to, to be able to uh, have the recipe book in a hard copy. And the best part is it's free. 
Absolutely. It is available free. That's very important for us. And yes, um, ask your doctor or your pharmacist for a, for a copy. Alternatively, you can, you can go online and, and access it immediately. Now, one of the things um, I would imagine one of the main reasons behind something like this and your Pharmadynamics' collaboration, if you like, with the Heart and Stroke Foundation, is this whole topic of the disparity between preventative and curative measures. Absolutely. I think the important thing, and, and, and I often get the question why Pharmadynamics as a pharmaceutical company that, you know, our business is to sell medicine yes. and why are we involved in these kind of preventative measures taken or that we have to take. And the reality is if we look at the increasing incidence of heart disease in our country, um, there's a huge focus on communicable diseases, but we often forget about the non-communicable diseases, which, you know, include a heart disease, diabetes, cancers, etc. And we are facing a, an, an epidemic in, in our country for we don't address um, our lifestyles. And, and the beauty is that by simple, healthier choices, you can actually prevent the onset of disease. And that's the important message that we have to, that we have to portray to everyone. I, mean, I was reading an alarming statistic and it said chronic diseases account for up to 40% of adult deaths in South Africa, where most people have at least one modifiable risk factor for chronic disease. And modifiable means we could have done something about it. Absolutely, and I think the other disturbing um, status, if we see that by the, I think they predict by 2030, the the incidence of, of death or of heart disease amongst the adult population will increase by about 30%. And and um, the, the downside of that is that the deaths are predicted in the working population. So that not only has an effect on, on individuals, but also in the economy and the country as a whole. And I think the problem, though, I think possibly the biggest problem, Mariska, is that we are so busy all the time and we're dashing and processed food and quick, fast food is just we grab it, we're on the go. And we don't seem to make time to like back in the day. I mean, I'm sort of giving away my age here, but, you know, back in the day um, when everything was cooked fresh and there weren't all these fast food outlets everywhere. And, you know, you had to come home and make a fresh, decent meal every night. You weren't sort of dashing off to the, get pizzas or some other fast food thing for supper. And the kids weren't being fed all of this junk food all the time. Absolutely. We, 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 um, the kids grow up today on, on junk food and on fast foods and the easy way out. And I hope in, uh, that in the Cooking from the Hot Recipe book now that we've showed uh, parents, we've showed mom and dad that it is actually easy to prepare healthy meals. It doesn't have to take hours. It doesn't have to take long. A little bit of planning and, and you, could, you could make sure that your child grows, uh, that your child grows up on a, on a healthy diet instead of, of fast foods. Now, as you mentioned, it is quite strange when you think about it that a pharmaceutical company is trying to make us healthy that we don't need to take the drugs that you make. I mean, you know, it kind of doesn't compute if you think about it logically like that. But you have a program called I Change for Health. And I mean, you are going all out there to try and get us to be as healthy as we possibly can. Yes, Pharmadynamics was involved um, with a, uh, or joined hands with a chronic disease initiative for Africa uh, last year to to bring to life the I Change for Health pro- program. And as part of that, uh, healthy li- um, diet or healthier diet played a huge role in cooking from the heart. Um, sort of is used as a resource for healthcare professionals to to use as an educational tool for, for patients who need it. Um, and then we also look at uh, um, physical activity, at 
uh, quitting smoking, how important it is for you to quit smoking, and also to give guidelines and, and advice how to be able to do that. And, and basically, the, the science behind I Change for Health is to, to help patients make that choice instead of it being a, a, an instruction from your doctor that you must change your lifestyle for your health. It, 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 it revolves around the patient taking the decision that I have to make the change for my health. And um, and that has been found in medical research to to have a lasting effect and to be a lot more effective. I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago on the show about something called the Healthy Active Kids Report Card. And this is an international study and we didn't fare terribly well at all. We didn't have very active children. They seemed to spend most of the time, as I'm sure we all know, on the couch watching TV, playing computer games or video games, whatever they're doing. They're not moving around. And that... I think is a parent's responsibility to get them off the couch. Yes, it is definitely, and, and, and there's, there's quite an interesting um, way to look at physical activity as well, because we often, you know, you spend an hour or two in the gym, but you forget about the rest of the day that mm. you're actually sedentary. You're sitting be- behind a computer, you're sitting on the couch was- watching television, and that causes more damage in the end than what you're doing good with that hour of of exercise or physical activity that you have three or four times a week. So it is important to, as you say, um, get busy, get active, get moving, get off the couch. That is important. Because we've been talking up until now about us as the adults, but we need to take responsibility for the children because if we don't tell them or show them what to do, they're going to think it's quite fine to be sitting there all day. I mean, they'll love to sit there all day playing video games and watching TV, but they're going to grow up to be adults who don't move either. Yes, that's very important. And also, if we look at the increasing incidence of heart disease amongst um, the younger kids, and and it's been said that the age of heart disease is getting younger and younger, and that is quite disturbing if we if we think of children who's been diagnosed with heart diseases, who's been diagnosed with type two diabetes, which is generally, you know, uh, traditionally been seen as an adult condition, and and that is because of unhealthy diet, it's because of sedentary lifestyles, and and of um, not enough physical activity and and it is the responsibility of the parents to make sure that their children grow up healthy well one of the things they can do is get themselves a copy of cooking from the heart it's free you can either download it or your doctor or your pharmacy might have a copy that they can give you but honestly and, and as i would imagine i haven't seen it yet mariska i'm about to go download my own but i'm imagining that it's it's quite fun to do it's not all sort of depressing kind of don't eat this and don't eat that you've made what we can eat rather fun that's exactly the point of cooking from the heart. It is it is showing South Africans that it it doesn't have to be boring and bland and and um, you know when when you have to cook healthy. We we've got this general perception that a healthy diet is you know lettuce leaf and a and a, and a, and a chicken breast. And we try to show in, in cooking from the heart that that is not the case. You can use fresh ingredients. You can use fresh herbs and spices and and you can make it healthy and exciting and tasting. Well, I hope everybody want no, don't do it right now. Wait until 10 o'clock when my show's finished, then go and download your own copy. Or otherwise, get to your doctor or pharmacist first thing tomorrow and go and get yourself a free copy of Cooking from the Heart. And hopefully we'll be, all be on the road to a healthier future. Mariska, thank you so much for joining us on the show today and telling us about that. And uh, hopefully we've converted some people to a more healthy way of living. Absolutely. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Thanks for your time. Good night to you. Mariska van Aswirchen is a spokesperson for Pharma Dynamics, and if you'd like to download a copy of Cooking from the Heart, you can do so via www.cookingfromtheheart.co.za or www.heartrecipes.mobi. Health Matters with Karen Key. 
Social media sites, television and radio news channels and general conversations are buzzing on the topic of the latest breaking news regarding the Oscar Pistorius trial. Oscar has been ordered by the court to go for psychiatric evaluation after the defence's expert psychiatrist Dr Meryl Forster testified that she had diagnosed Oscar with General Anxiety Disorder, or GAD. Now, since the news broke, the South African Federation for Mental Health has received a flood of telephone calls and emails from members of the public and other organisations wanting to learn more about this condition. So to tell us more, I'm joined this evening by Barty Patel, National Director of the South African Federation for Mental Health. Barty, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen, and thank you for inviting me. The one thing about this gad that's come out now during the Oscar Pistorius trial if anything good can come out of it, is the fact that it has raised awareness of mental health and has got people talking. And it's one of those things that people normally don't want to talk about. Very uh, much so, Karen. Um, You know, mental health is not a very popular issue, and people shy away from discussing their mental health status or conditions that they might experience. And, you know, as the Federation, we've always struggled, although we create a lot of awareness out there, we find it that, you know, people shy away from the material that we do produce and, and are not forthcoming to learn about the mental health conditions that, you know, we should be aware of. So perhaps this has been a good start, that it's made people aware that there are mental health conditions out there and we need to talk about them, we need to find out more, because there are a large majority of the people in South Africa do have some form or other of anxiety perhaps or a mental condition and they tend to keep it hidden because there's a lot of stigma and they don't want to talk about this and disclose this. Karen, you know, according to recent statistics, one in four in South Africa would have a mental health condition at some point in their life. So, you know, we, it, it is a very serious matter that needs a lot of attention. By 2020, they uh, are estimating that mental health will be a leading cause of disability. So it is vital that we all understand what we are feeling and, you know, to have a diagnosis or to have an assessment to confirm, is it a mental health condition? Would I require treatment? And how do I access that treatment? That is very important, though, Barty, because a lot of people, since this general generalized anxiety disorder came about, that came into the public eye, if you like, a lot of people are saying, oh, my goodness, maybe I've got that, and sort of almost self-diagnosing themselves. But they really shouldn't be doing that. If you are concerned, your first port of call is to go and speak to a professional. Very much so. You know, it... It is very positive to identify that there is a condition and, you know, not knowing what it is, is important in a sense that you are aware that something is wrong. And by going out and seeking help, it is the first step towards your treatment. So let's get down to this generalized anxiety disorder. What exactly is that? Well, generalized anxiety disorder is a long-term mental health condition and it causes a person to feel anxious about a wide range of situations and issues. Um, You're not really worried about one specific event. You know, we all experience anxiety at some point in our life, Um, be it that you are going for a job interview or you are studying towards examinations. And during these times, we all feel a bit, you know, you do have a sense of anxiety. However, when a person worries and and worries continuously, that feeling of anxiety doesn't go away. 
then it is uh, considered an anxiety disorder. And sometimes, you know, you, you struggle to even relax, even though they, are, they aren't issues that you should be worrying about. So something like generalized anxiety disorder, is it can cause both psychological and physical symptoms as well. And that's not going to be the same in any two people. No, definitely not. You know, it's not exactly known what causes generalized anxiety disorder. However, you know, we find that there are physical symptoms and there are psychological symptoms, yes. So and the cause of this also, it could be a combination of several factors. Most likely, yes. Now, what sort of things would, the, would those factors be, do you think? Well, you know, if you find that you are basically genetic, it can be genetic that, you know, if there's someone in your family that has a mental health condition, you're more likely to have a similar condition. And if there's history of traumatic incidences in your life, if, if there's child abuse or uh, domestic violence, um, bullying in schools, you would find that, you know, as you grow older, the anxiety disorder persists. There's also long-term health conditions like arthritis and even having a, a history of drug and alcohol misuse. Now, something like there's also, I was reading somewhere that there's an, it can also be caused by an imbalance of the brain chemicals, the serotonin and noradrenaline. Now, something like that, this is why we mentioned earlier that if you are feeling that you possibly need to speak to a professional, the thing with, with generalized anxiety disorder, I'm assuming, Barty, please correct me if I'm wrong, but something like this could be, you could be assisted with medication. It can be managed. Most definitely. You know, once you have been diagnosed, the psychologist or psychiatrist will give you an option of treatment methods. And once on that treatment, you would be able to manage the symptoms and then eventually be able to lead a normal, fulfilled life. And the, the, let's just talk about the South African Federation for Mental Health, because this is what you, you do there every day, all day, is trying to raise awareness to get rid of the stigma of mental health. Talk to me a little bit about the work that you do. Well, the Federation is a national body, and we are in a non-profit organization. We are constituted. That means we have 17 mental health societies throughout the nine provinces. And in these organizations, you can walk into the organizations and seek advice and assistance in terms of service delivery. But as a national body, we focus um, a lot of our attention on creating awareness because it is a known fact that, you know, there is a lot of stigma and discrimination out there. We are trying to make mental health a very popular topic, giving people uh, advice in terms of what are the signs, symptoms of the various mental health conditions, and then also to promote access to treatment so that, you know, even in rural communities or even if you're not part of a medical aid, you can still access mental health services at your general clinics, general hospitals. By creating some of this awareness, we also lobby to make sure, we lobby government to make sure that services do become available. And, you know, what is exciting is that we've never had a policy around mental health in our country. We look to the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities to, to give us guidance in terms of how to develop services for people with mental health conditions. And as recent as last year, the Department of Health has 
approved a policy, a mental health policy framework, which needs to be implemented at provinces. So every province has been obliged or is obliged to develop a plan of action in terms of developing services at grassroots level for mental health services. And the reason why I'm saying this is that, you know, if you walk into your local clinics, you can ask for a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a mental health professional where, who can give you advice in terms of, you know, what, what are your symptoms, what, what are the facts around your mental health condition, but also to be able to be assessed in your community so you don't have to go to great lengths in accessing treatment or uh, knowledge around mental health. One of my biggest concerns as far as mental health is concerned, though, Barty, is the fact that so many people are still too afraid to disclose this at work because they feel that they, it will become a problem there. And, and are, we, are we going to ever see this getting any better? Well, yes, I think it will. You know, one has to be positive and there has to be hope that, you know, very much, uh, you know, awareness can, can bring about a change in the way you and I look at the mental health condition. It's very important that, you know, we are able to support. If we have the, the knowledge with us, we would be able to provide adequate support and assistance to be able to reach out to your fellow men, you know, be it a colleague at work, be it the person you sit next to when you're sitting in a bus or a taxi or on your way to work. So basically it's about understanding conditions, understanding that a person who has a mental illness is not really... Uh, a danger to you, but he is your fellow man and he needs additional support. So, and how you can reach out to provide that support to make that person's life much more easier. That was something, um, that, sorry, just getting back to you, you said that they're not a danger to you, they are just a fellow human being. That is something else that concerned me that came out during this trial, was that there was quite a lot made during the trial of the fact that he was dangerous, but then it was added if he had a gun. And I think people just hear that first part, you know, he could be dangerous, and they don't hear the second bit of the qualification. And it, we need to make that very clear, <clears throat> that somebody with a condition like, like for example, generalized anxiety disorder is not a, a danger to you generally? Well, yeah, you, you know, one can never be a danger to anybody un- unless a situation arises. Mm. So, you know, you talk about either we freeze or, you know, it's flight or freeze. Um, so, so basically a, a situation will present itself and one doesn't know how you're going to react until it happens. But, you know, for me, the stigma and discrimination is more around because mental illness is not a visible condition or a disability or an illness, people don't know, you know, if, you, if, if, uh, if I had to say I have a mental illness, people are afraid that I may react differently. Mm. Until you understand the symptoms and what are the triggers that will lead to me reacting in a different way. I mean, let's look at HIV and AIDS. It was such a, there was so much of stigma and discrimination until there was a huge campaign and an awareness around the illness itself. And today, even though you have HIV and AIDS, you can still be part of society. You don't have to be ostracized. You're not a danger in society. And that comes with a lot of knowledge around the illness.
So us as the general public also need to take responsibility here as well for being for making ourselves aware and for not being people that shy away from somebody with a mental health issue. But we need to make us, we need to learn, we need to actually educate ourselves. We do. I mean, you know, something like generalized anxiety disorder would never have become as uh, you know, uh, there wouldn't be so much need for information around mm. it unless it becomes a high-profile case that is being, you know, uh, managed in, 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 in the open public domain. And because we have this opportunity, people are willing to learn. So we should always, I mean, yeah, that's part of the responsibility for every human being to understand the different mental health conditions. I mean, if we look at the statistics again, like I say, one in mm. four, so in a family, someone would have, in a family of four, someone is more likely, one member is more likely to have a mental illness. Therefore, everyone has that responsibility to learn about mental health conditions. Well, if anything else that's good that's come out of this trial is the fact that we are now talking more about mental health issues. So that's at least something that's positive for the general public that's come out of this trial. Well, that assists the federation a lot. You know, a lot of our effort goes into creating that awareness. And, you know, the more people come forward and ask the questions, that is why we are very excited about it, because more people are getting familiar with the terminology around mental health illnesses and conditions and how to approach people who have a mental illness. Because once we have a positive uh, reaction towards mental health, we would be able to eradicate a lot of the stigma and discrimination, and also reduce the burden. You know, mental illness can, can, is, is a costly affair because if you're looking at psychological assessment and you're looking at, you know, time away from work in terms of therapy, if more and more people are getting assessed and getting treated, less people would be away from work, uh, more people would be productive, and therefore the cost and effectiveness of understanding mental health conditions will bring about a reduction in the burden. Barty, thank you very much indeed for joining us this evening and for explaining a lot more than hopefully we knew at the beginning. And um, hopefully this won't be the last time you and I chat. Definitely so. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you for your time. Good night to you. Barty Patel is the National Director of the South African Federation for Mental Health. And for more information, you can contact the Federation on 011-781-781. 1852 or take a look at their website www.safmh.org. Now I also have a fact sheet on generalized anxiety disorder as well as a list of organizations around the country with contact numbers if you'd like that. So if you want me to send you that you could email me on healthmatters at safm.co.za and I'll send you the fact sheet as well as all the contact numbers. At Adcock Ingram we're passionate about the health of all South Africans. For more than 120 years, generations of families across the Rainbow Nation have trusted us with the day-to-day health of their loved ones. With household names like Panado, Bioplus, Comprel and Citrus Soda, you'll find the same quality and care in all of our medicines. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram Medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy. Health Matters with Karen Key. 
making sure that your baby and your children eat well and healthily is a concern for all of us parents. Well, to share some tips about healthy eating, nutrition during pregnancy, as well as giving us some snack and lunchbox ideas, which I think at the beginning of the year we all desperately need, I'm joined now by Claire McHugh. She's a mother of two, as well as being a nutritionist and the Pampers Institute expert. Claire, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you so much for having me. I think when you talk about children and food, a lot of parents, the sort of the hair stands up on the back of their neck and they think, oh gosh, meal times, you know, becomes an absolute mm-hmm. nightmare. How do we go about making sure these little darlings of ours get exactly what they should be having? Feeding our children is one of the things that us as mums take quite seriously and it's one of our main responsibilities. Keep them warm, keep them fed and you'll keep them alive. Mm. But they often don't play ball, so it can <laughs> become a very stressful part of parenting. Right, so we start off, I think, briefly, nutrition during pregnancy. What should we and shouldn't we be doing? It's been shown that the mother's nutrition up to 90 days or three months before she falls pregnant can actually have an impact on the nutritional status of her unborn child. So I think if a woman is planning to fall pregnant, she should start thinking about her nutrition early on and start taking something like a prenatal vitamin or folic acid before she conceives, if, if possible. And then obviously during pregnancy, she should aim to be following a healthy, balanced diet with regular meals and a good variety of foods. And it's important actually that nuns who are pregnant avoid overeating. We all know the myth of eating for two. (laughs) But it's been shown too that all we need is about an extra 300 calories in the second and third trimester per day. And that equates to something simple like a sandwich. So we don't need to eat a lot more during pregnancy, but the most important thing is to consider and think of quality rather than quantity. And then some of the things that are obviously very important because our babies are growing and we're increasing our blood volume is that um, protein and iron should be considered and important to make sure you get enough of. And foods that are rich in protein are obviously things like meat and fish and dairy and pulses. And um, the iron-rich foods would be your most easily absorbed forms of iron in your red meats and chicken. Is there anything we should be avoiding eating during pregnancy? Yeah, again, there's lots and lots of myths about what we should be avoiding. The most important thing is that mums who are are pregnant are kept healthy. And um, a lot of the things that we are encouraged to avoid, things like very ripe cheeses and things like sushi or raw fish, are really to avoid getting foodborne illnesses. So those things should obviously be avoided. And then because of the risk of mercury toxicity, fish that are generally going to be high in mercury, like marlin and shark and that kind of thing, should be um, avoided as well. And then most basic and most simple, obviously, you shouldn't be taking a lot of caffeine and alcohol during pregnancy. Or we shouldn't be having any alcohol. Absolutely. I was about to say one of the most important things to avoid is alcohol at all yes. costs. Do not consume. Yeah. And there also, is obviously, evidence that alcohol in pregnancy can lead to um, fetal alcohol syndrome, which um, would cause severe neurological delay and problems for the unborn child. And possibly one of the things we should plan on on giving up three months or so before we're even planning on falling pregnant. So it's one of those things as well? Absolutely. And then it's not really nutrition-related, but smoking is also... Well, yes. going to be harmful to your unborn child. Absolutely. Right, so now we've got through the pregnancy, we've had the baby. We Let's just chat a little bit now. They've, we're going to bypass the child, the baby babyhood. Now they're at school. And I think most importantly, because they're at schools, and we need yep. to get them packed a healthy lunch. And, you know, it's easy just yep. to throw the packet of chips and the 
fizzy coke thing in the school bag and say, well, off you go, dear. But what should we be putting in their lunch boxes? I think it's important to think of a school lunch as a nutritious meal for your children, not just something to see them through the morning. And therefore, in that way, you should actually look at that lunchbox and check that you're getting something from all the food groups. Obviously, um, we know that half a child's plate should literally be fruit and vegetables. So think of half of that lunchbox having things like fruit and vegetables in them. And it doesn't need to be fresh fruits and vegetables. It can be salad on a sandwich. It could be dried fruit. It could be fresh fruit. Um, it could be things like unsweetened fruit sticks. But make sure that those kind of foods are always there. And if your child's not that keen on them, you can turn them into, put them on, put pieces of fruit on skewers. You can cut vegetables into little pieces with a dip so that it does make it a little bit more exciting. Then obviously we know that the starchy foods are our children's main source of energy. So those need to go in. And it doesn't have to be the boring bread sandwich every single day. You can use things like wraps, you can use little mini pizzas, crackers, rice cakes, things like that to make it again a little bit more exciting and varied. And then because we know that they're growing and they need the protein, try and ensure that there's something protein rich in their lunch boxes too. So you could add cheese to a sandwich or some form of meat like chicken mayonnaise or some form of fish, nuts if, if the child is old enough and able to take them, some things that could go in addition, things like biltong or dried horse, all to get an extra bit of protein in. And another nice protein idea, which I was thinking of a little bit earlier when I was thinking of this interview, is freezing mini tubs of low-fat yogurt. If you pop a frozen low-fat yogurt into your children's lunchbox by mid-morning when they're due to have their break, that yogurt's defrosted but still nice and chilled, and it goes down the treat. Gosh, and this is something we should maybe plan the night before because if you're trying to do this in the morning when you're trying to rush yourself and the kids out of the door and you're trying to make breakfast yeah, and absolutely. you're trying to shove things in a lunchbox, maybe you should do this before you go to bed the night before. And then it it's not going to be a major panic in the morning. Absolutely. I think being organized with school lunches makes success that much easier. The other thing I haven't mentioned in terms of school lunches is what to drink. I think so many children are being sent to school with very sugary drinks. If they've been given very sugary drinks, and I've seen children go to school with sports drinks, which are extremely high in sugar, um, it is potentially going to affect their concentration and behavior. So as far as possible, I do encourage water as a drink for school. And if your children are very averse to all water, it should be a very diluted juice. So there are options, you know, but unfortunately, a lot of times parents go for the quick fix, you know, the quick option, mm-hmm. or just throw a can or a bottle of something in the bag. And, you know, that's, yeah, that's the yeah. thing. And I do understand. I mean, mornings are a nightmare. That's why I said try and sort this out the night before and yeah. just pack it in a box and stick it in the fridge. So in the morning, all you need to do is take it out the fridge. Absolutely. And, and I'm assuming, Claire, that all, most of those things you mentioned about in the lunchbox are really good snack time meals as well for kids if they're looking for something to snack on. I would Absolutely. imagine most of those things are great for snacks, too. Yeah, another nice thing that is a great lunchbox for low snack is a, a mini mini muffin of sorts, mm. preferably a high-fiber muffin and a good way to sneak in vegetables into the diet too because you could grate courgette or carrot or pop raisins into them. And the little mini muffins are great extra. Another something that could go in is, as I said, something like a veggie with a cheesy dip or a little bit of hummus. And that makes um, dipping and eating, you know, a lot more interesting than if it were just on its own.
And if you worry about your kids eating all that sort of thing, it, it does help if it's something that is regularly eaten at home. So they get used to eating it. Don't put something foreign in the lunchbox because when they get to school, they'll open the box and think, I'm not eating that. You know, and then come home with it or give it away or something. So make sure it's things that they are used to eating in the house. Absolutely. And you need to start by introducing those foods in the second six months of life when when they are weaning. Um, if those foods are being offered to them regularly from the very beginning, they're much more likely to continue eating them and enjoying them than if they're suddenly introduced to them when they're six or seven. Yeah, don't, don't, it mustn't be a shock. It must be, as you say, something that they've got used to through their life, effectively. No, you're talking about being organized. I guess what came to mind was an article I read earlier today about the prevalence of childhood obesity being associated with children who spend a lot of money at tuck shops. Mm. And again, if you're disorganized and just sending your children to school with 20 rand, for instance, you can't be guaranteed that they're going to be able to choose something healthy or even buy something that is a healthy option at school. Although the really nice positive thing about that is a lot of schools are now actually stocking their tuck shops with healthy options, with healthy things, the healthy snacks, as opposed to all the sort of, you know, the sugary snack things. So that is, we are starting to move in the right direction there, I think. There are a lot of um, programs in place where people are trying very hard to change the the, um, contents of tuck shops to try and make them healthier, which is, as you said, really, really positive. We're hopefully moving in the right direction. Claire, it's been great chatting with you. We must chat again when we have some more time about all sorts of other ideas for young children and how to get them to eat interesting things and healthy things. But thank you so very much indeed for your time this evening. Absolutely, Claire. Lovely to be able to speak to you too. Thanks, Claire. Good night to you. Good night. Good night. Claire McHugh is a nutritionist and Pampers Institute expert. And for more information, you can take a look at the website. It's www.pampers.co.za. At Adcock Ingram, we're inspired to create quality medicines at affordable prices. The passion and care that goes into our trusted brands like Panado, Bioplus, Comprel and Citrus Soda can also be found in our range of generic medicines. So whether you're a boyki with a bellyache or a gogo with a cold, trust us to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy. Health Matters with Karen Key. In a recent study conducted by Crohn's and Colitis UK and funded by AbbVie Pharmaceuticals revealed the disheartening outlook adopted by most inflammatory bowel disease sufferers when questioned about their perceived career prospects. 75% of respondents suffering from Crohn's disease, one of the two most common forms of IBD, agreed that the condition had negatively impacted their productivity in the past seven days, with 53% stating that it prevented them from reaching their full potential in the workplace. Well, to tell us more about Crohn's disease, I'm joined in studio this evening by gastroenterologist Dr. David Epstein. Dr. Epstein, welcome to the show. Good evening, Corin. I think before we begin, for those who aren't aware, what exactly is Crohn's disease? Okay. Crohn's disease is um, an autoimmune disease, which is characterized by inflammation of the gastrointestinal tract. Usually the small intestine and colon is involved. And the cause of this condition is unknown. Um, we do know that it has a number of components that make up the, the pattern and, and what causes it. These include uh, genetic factors, some environmental factors, and then some unique immune system problems that a patient may have. And these in combination would cause inflammation to their intestines and or colon. And this is something that can occur at any stage of your life. It's not something that you're born with. 
Correct. Um, we have patients that are diagnosed at six years of age, whereas others go through most of their life without any problems and then may only develop the condition at about 60 years of age or older. Now, what symptoms are there, especially for parents, if you have a young child? What should you be looking out for? Well, the symptoms can be quite vague and nonspecific. In children, uh, failure to thrive is a common symptom. Poor weight gain and height um, would be noticed. Fatigue, abdominal cramps, diarrhea, um, those would be the most common symptoms. Now, people now develop Crohn's, and we're mentioning, talking here about IBD and your career. Now, why would this impact on somebody's work life? It would impact on their work life in a number of ways. Firstly, just in terms of the symptoms, it can be difficult to work or study to one's full capacity if you've got active inflammatory bowel disease such as Crohn's disease. So symptoms like fatigue or stomach cramps that keep you awake at night or diarrhea um, are going to be a major problem um, in, in the work environment. And uh, we've also noticed that a lot of people will choose different careers because of their illness. For example, um, a, a job that involves traveling may be very difficult with someone who's got active Crohn's disease. So that's one example how it may um, affect uh, their career. And then just symptoms like diarrhea in a, in a work environment, in a crowded office environment, can be very difficult for a patient with Crohn's disease. Now this strikes me as something akin to a mental illness. Well, not that it's anywhere close to being the same thing, but in that people don't disclose this sort of thing. You'll go, people, so we've done a show here once before on bipolar and we had a caller who said she would never tell anybody at work because she was terrified of getting fired or being sort of sidelined for promotion or whatever it is. Is it the same kind of feeling with somebody with Crohn's? Sure, I think it can be. Um, firstly, patients with Crohn's disease may outwardly appear normal, so they often uh, their condition is not understood by their employers or colleagues. Um, secondly, symptoms like diarrhea are very embarrassing and, and therefore disclosure to colleagues or to HR personnel may not occur because of um, the embarrassment or shame about um, these symptoms. What about treatment? Well, there's a variety of treatments and in the majority of patients, uh, treatment works very effectively and can reduce the symptoms and, and uh, render people very functional. But there are patients who will battle um, despite treatments with ongoing symptoms. And for these smaller group of patients, it becomes very challenging to, to uh, manage them in their work environments and allow them to achieve their full potential. Would diet play any role in alleviating some of these of the symptoms at all? Um, Crohn's is not a dietary illness, so it can't be cured by diet. But diet does play an important role in controlling some of the symptoms. Um, and so, yes, it, it is important. Before we came on air, you mentioned that there was an alarming number now of autoimmune conditions, one of which is Crohn's. Yes, that's correct. Um, I think over 100 autoimmune conditions have now been described, and these range from very simple conditions such as thyroid disease, which are very easily managed, to more um, serious autoimmune conditions like uh, lupus or SLE, Crohn's disease, multiple sclerosis, would be examples of the more serious ones. The thing about autoimmune conditions, though, unfortunately, is that there is no cure. It's just a case of management and, and treatment to sort of try and alleviate the symptoms. That's, to a degree. That's correct. There are very few, there are some very rare autoimmune conditions that potentially can be cured, but the vast majority cannot and require lifelong therapy. And the future ahead for this, I mean, is there research going on into Crohn's? Do you know? 
Yes, there's a lot of research being done around the world and in South Africa as well into Crohn's disease. And we always tell people the future is bright. There are a lot of new drugs coming onto the market. Our understanding of these illnesses is improving. And uh, we anticipate that, you know, with, with better treatments and better understanding, uh, the disease will be far better controlled than it is at present. Interestingly, also before we came on air, we were discussing biologics because I know those from people with rheumatoid arthritis and that's been this revolutionary treatment for people with RA. And you were telling me that you, in some cases you can actually use biologics in certain cases for, for some patients with Crohn's. Definitely. Yeah. Biologics are an important component of our armamentarium in treating these diseases. Yes, they're powerful drugs. They come with um, some amazing advantages in terms of healing patients with Crohn's disease um, but obviously do have other issues which we have to address when putting patients on these drugs so they, they, they have to be used carefully but uh, and appropriately. Yeah, because you know, biologics known as sort of almost like the miracle drug, but it's not for everybody. As you said, you have to be assessed. So you know, don't get all happy because you think, oh, I can take biologics. Well, you might be able to, but it's not everybody. Correct. I think each patient needs to be assessed individually. It's not a one size fits all in terms of treating Crohn's disease, and each patient needs to be assessed individually. What are the sort of figures, if you know, in South Africa for people with Crohn's? How how prevalent is it here? We we don't have great data. Um, there were some studies conducted about thirty or forty years ago. But what we do have is a South African Inflammatory Bowel Disease Registry, which is a project I'm involved in. And just from the uh, numbers in our practice, which is centered around the Crudescue Hospital Inflammatory Bowel Disease Clinic and a few private practices, we have about 2,300 patients with either Crohn's disease or coli uh, ulcerative colitis. In that's the, in the Cape. Yeah. In the Cape. Wow. And that's probably only the tip of the iceberg. There are probably a lot more in, in the Cape and, and in the rest of the country. And the advantage of the registry? Well, I think we are seeing some patterns emerge on patients getting these illnesses. So it's giving us some clues as to what causes the illness. So, for example, we're seeing increasing number of black patients with both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, which was unheard of 30, 40 years ago. And when we look at those patients, they are patients who uh, live in sort of middle-class suburbs, uh, attend university, are professionals, have always lived in Cape Town. So something in their environmental sort of upbringing it predisposes them to, to Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. It's almost starting to sound like a lifestyle illness, almost sort of, you know, a westernized diet lifestyle type thing. Definitely. We're seeing the same situation in Asia, so in China and uh, Korea, with rapid urbanization and people moving to cities, more and more patients developing inflammatory bowel disease. Gosh, that's almost like we should be going back to the times when we lived more simply and ate more simply rather than all this fabulous sort of westernized lifestyle with all the westernized food and everything else. And uh, maybe the figures would go down a bit. Well, I think that's true. I mean, we have done some studies in Cape Town and elsewhere around the world that shows that sort of parasitic infections with worms seems to protect you against developing things like inflammatory bowel disease. So, you know, a more rural environment, uh, you know, less, less hygienic conditions seem in a way to protect some people from, from getting this illness. So definitely a disease of modern living. Gosh, it's almost like a catch-22. You know, you're trying to improve yourself, not have the worm problem, and now we're causing something else. That's 100% correct. Gosh, so you can't seem to win here. Now, do you, are you looking for people who, if they have this condition, to join the registry, or how do they get on this thing? Yes, I mean, it would be and what good. do they get out of being on it? Basically? Right. Okay. Firstly, if people wanted to join the registry, um, we have uh, they can do it via two websites: either the South African Gastroenterology um, Society website, which is www.sages.org. 
www.ibd.co.za and then via my own website has an IBD registry tab which people can um, go to and that's www.gastro-enterology.co.za and there's an IBD registry uh, tab on that website. And patients can self-register and uh, we'd collect their data. Obviously, they have to give consent for their data to be collected. And then we have a number of forums where patients can attend and also join our registry. And obviously, from the registry, would they get information and they'd be able to or, or do you sort of do support group type things or anything like that? Correct. We do run support groups and we do have patient meetings which are closely related to the registry. But the registry primarily is to collect data, to look for patterns um, in the disease, who's getting the disease, how long it takes them to get diagnosed. We've from some of our registry data, we see that the average Crohn's patient takes almost two and a half years from onset of symptoms to, to get diagnosed. So it helps us also um, assess you know, the quality of care that we're offering and awareness about the disease in the community. I think that's one of the problems with autoimmune d conditions is that you, you will have one symptom this week and something else next week and you never quite get the same thing all the time. Correct. I think with a lot of autoimmune conditions, the disease tends to fluctuate and it can start quite insidiously and fluctuate during its course and that does make it difficult in terms of diagnosis. Gosh, well, hopefully we'll be getting a handle on these autoimmune conditions. As you said, there is this join the fight against autoimmune diseases and we all need to join the fight and hopefully we'll get there in the end, but it's going to take a while. That's right. I think so. Thank you very much indeed for joining me on the show this evening. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Dr. David Epstein is a gastroenterologist in private practice at the Vincent Pilotti Hospital in Cape Town. The Join the Fight Against Autoimmune Diseases campaign is a global initiative by AbbVie that seeks to help raise awareness of autoimmune diseases and to unite and support sufferers. For more information about the campaign and how you can get involved, you can contact Dean Kravitz on 011 326 3428 or 083 768 one four double three and then dr epstein gave you two websites if you'd like to register on their website it's www.sages.co.za or gastro-enterology.co.za and don't worry if you've missed any of those contact details you can always drop me a mail at healthmatters at safm.co.za and I will send you anything you need to know. And that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me and I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with time to travel so join me then. And don't forget there's now a list of available documents for Health Matters so if you'd like any of them take a look at the Facebook page Health Matters on SAFM or drop me an email to healthmatters at safm.co.za. This program was brought to you by Adcock Ingram. Adcock Ingram is passionate about the health of all South Africans across our rainbow nation. Trust Adcock Ingram Medicines to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. At Adcock Ingram, we're inspired to create quality medicines at affordable prices. The passion and care that goes into our trusted brands like Panado, Bioplus, Comprao and Citrus Soda can also be found in our range of generic medicines. So whether you're a boyki with a bellyache or a gogo with a cold, trust us to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram Medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy. Well, it's time now for some nighttime music.